Indy, you are my best friend. Let's do it together. One last adventure. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Indiana Jones Universe, the podcast that explores the expanded universe of Indiana Jones as we discuss the Young Indie television series, the Further Adventures comic books, the Staff of Kings and Emperor's Tomb video games, and so much more. As always, I'm Will. And I'm Max. And thanks for joining us for episode 60, in which today we are continuing our discussion and exploration of the adventures of Young Indiana Jones with chapter 18 treasure of the peacock's eye. Uh, in this episode, the war comes to an end, and Indy and Remy find and decipher a map given to them by a dying soldier that will lead them to Alexander's greatest triumph. After returning home, they travel on one last adventure together from England to Alexandria to Java in search of the long-lost diamond, the peacock's eye. After an encounter with pirates and various native tribes, Indy meets anthropologist Branislaw Malinowski, who causes Indy to make a life-altering decision as Indy and Remy part ways. So in this interesting prequel to Temple of Doom that has a lot of classic Indiana Jones-style adventure, let's jump into this one, shall we? Yes, and uh, Treasure of the Peacock's Eye, pretty big deal. It's a fantastic episode. It was also the third TV movie that aired on the Family Channel in 1994. Also, this episode introduces the backstory of Indy's quest for the Peacock's Eye in Temple of Doom. It's the same diamond they're after in this episode, and I think that's a very, you know, nice thing about creating, like, TV, like, in this case, this was created after the first three movies, so, like, they can put in references that they just made up, you know, a couple of years before, and then basically just uh, allude to them in this uh, TV series that they wrote. Yeah, I absolutely agree. This episode is really awesome for, for just a bunch of reasons, and that's the big one, that uh, the diamond that they are after is the Peacock's Eye, which is the exact same diamond from Temple of Doom, and interestingly, actually, it's not actually obvious that that's the case. I remember the first time I watched this episode, I actually didn't know that, because if you think about the actual opening scene from Temple of Doom, uh, we obviously have a visual representation of what the diamond is, but it's never referred to as the Peacock's Eye. And the exact opposite is true in this episode here. It's referred to as the Peacock's Eye, but they never actually find the diamond. Uh, and even on the back of the VHS tape, like where the summary is and stuff, it doesn't openly say that it's a connection. So it, this really kind of became a big thing uh, just kind of right after the episode may, was made. And uh, if you have any of the source books, uh, The Lost Journal of Indiana Jones and Indiana Jones, The Ultimate Guide, uh, of course, any diehard indie fan has those classics. It's explained in more depth uh, to kind of why this was the sort of prequel uh, to Temple of Doom. And that's why actually uh, in 1999, I believe, when the original indie trilogy was re-released on VHS, you actually had a bonus VHS that came with it to promote Young Indiana Jones, which was Treasure of the Peacock's Eye. So going back to the whole idea that this was a classic TV movie aired on the Family Channel in 1994 after the show kind of, you know, fell off from, you know, its ratings and, you know, they didn't have any more money. Uh, I really, you know, have to commend George Lucas for doing something a little bit different, still incorporating the history that he wanted, but also really giving us a true indie adventure that really, I think, is probably the closest to the movies out of all of them with the cool prequel idea of the diamond, which I think is awesome. 
Yes, agreed. I mean, you know, that's interesting. So when they were promote, basically what you're saying is when they were promoting um, the first three movies in the, you know, Indiana Jones trilogy, they had a bonus feature on them that uh, would allow, that would promote young Indiana Jones, specifically Treasure of the Peacock's Eye? No, it actually came with the actual VHS of Treasure of the Peacock's Eye. It came as a bonus set, so you actually had four uh, VHS sets, I guess, for the price of three, or I don't know what the situation was, but, <laughs> you know, it, it basically it came with Treasure of the Peacock's Eye, so that's why, first of all, the uh, Treasure of the Peacock's Eye has the most VHS copies out of all the episodes because it was sold a lot, you know, more than all of the other ones because it was paired with the movies, and that's another reason why Young and D gained more popularity. A lot of people watch this episode because the VHS is so heavily available, and then they get into the whole show and so forth, so it's kind of cool because that was really the idea to say, hey, you know what? This show didn't do so well. We obviously, you know, didn't, you know, uh, have a lot of references to the movies and really kind of expand on that as much as fans were hoping. But hey, look, we did this episode that gives us some backstory into the Peacock's Eye Diamond. And I think it was a great way to not make it super obvious because like I said, they don't necessarily reference it as the Peacock's Eye and Temple of Doom. So you kind of have to make that connection yourself, which I think is awesome. And uh, let's also get into some more fun facts here. Uh, just from looking at the cast list and just, you know, kind of seeing who's in the episode, uh, it's actually not uh, filled with super famous actors like Daredevils or something like that. Uh, but there's actually someone who I didn't even realize was in this uh, that actually is a decently famous actor. First of all, Carl Schultz directed this episode, who is most famously known for directing all of the old indie bookend segments. Uh, they actually had a separate team working on the bookends uh, instead of the actual episodes. Those were filmed, I think, in Wilmington, North Carolina, if I'm remembering correctly. And there was an entire separate team working on the bookends and then you know, of course, the other team traveling all over the world, you know, uh, doing all of these other episodes. Um, but the actor who plays Howard Carter, who returns in this episode after his first appearance in My First Adventure, is actually an actor by the name of Pip Torrens. And it's hard to recognize him because he obviously has a mustache and his hair is a lot different, but he's been in a ton of famous stuff. I'm going to list off some stuff that I uh, just know of myself and saw from IMDb. He's in the Bond film Tomorrow Never Dies, Force Awakens, Pride and Prejudice, War Horse, uh, the UK version of Law and & Order, and two new series, Poldark and The Crown. And interestingly, The Crown also has a side actor from another episode. Uh, if you catch the last season of The Crown, you may have noticed good old Skull and Crossbones Nungusser in there. That's right, Patrick Toomey, who played Charles Nungusser in Attack of the Hawkmen, uh, also is in uh, the new show uh, The Crown, just briefly in, in the latest season. So that's kind of cool. Yes, that's very, very interesting. You know, that's it's kind of cool to see, like, actors that acted back when, you know, Young Indy was a thing. I mean, you know, that now almost 30 years ago. <laughs> right, literally. I mean, so it's cool to see, like, The Crown is, that's a brand new show on Netflix, correct? Yeah, I believe and, so. And then you see him briefly appear in there, and if you've watched Young Indy before, you're like, oh, wow, that's what he's doing now. Or, you know, it's really cool to see stuff like that. And speaking of people like that, Adrian Edmondson, who played Zyke, was also in The Last Jedi, and that's really, really cool. You know, you see you see that a lot with George Lucas, you know, he'll reuse actors that he likes, you know, like, there's some uh, actors that are from the three trilogies that are in, you know, Young and Me and some earlier episodes and stuff like that, and that's really cool. Also, Anthony Chin, who plays Ku Wong, has been in a ton of James Bond films and was Mohan in Raiders of the Lost Ark. 
Yes, a classic. Uh, Anthony Chin, I kind of recognize. He's been, I think, in a few side roles in some of the Bond films, which is awesome. And then Mohan and Raiders, who we talked about briefly for that Star Wars episode. So, yeah, some definitely some people uh, who are somewhat, I guess, recognizable. Not super famous, but really cool to see all those connections there. And with that said... Let's just jump into this episode here, and we start off here as the war continues. Uh, certainly this is not the years of change, as we've talked about ever since we started Tales of Innocence, but that is more so apparent here, as we literally have basically Trenches of Hell and Demons of Deception with this awesome, fantastic set piece here. And one thing I wanted to mention right off the bat that we haven't talked about as much, uh, we've talked about the digital production of this show and how it was a big deal in the 1990s, uh, specifically for the matte paintings that we've been spotting. There's actually some stock footage here from other old World War One movies. Uh, and actually, a good friend of mine and another young indie fan pointed me out to a really big one in Trenches of Hell and Demons of Deception. Uh, they actually use footage from the uh, movie All Quiet on the Western Front, which is also a really fabulous book that they turned into a movie. Uh, in Trenches of Hell and Demons of Deception, you'll notice some of the war scenes sprinkled in there, but it's so accurate to what they were able to recreate for young indie, you almost don't notice it. Uh, but there is one piece of stock footage, and I'm not sure if it's from that movie, or if it's from something different that does look a little bit different right as the uh, thing opens. But uh, yeah, pretty obvious that they were trying to save money here and reuse some shots from some old World War One movies. Kind of cool. You know, I think that's really cool. And I didn't even notice that there was a piece of stock footage because, you know, that's how good the LucasArts team is, is at um, recreating stuff, especially Young Indy. I mean, Young Indy, they flew all over the world until they went bankrupt. But right. um, their set pieces are also... They're also incredibly detailed and designed. It, you just That's when you know that the LucasArts team is very meticulous when they're going over and building everything to make it look as authentic as possible. Yeah, definitely. And, and I just love the fact that there's so much attention to detail. And we had a whole rant about this in Demons of Deception with looking at Verdun <laughs> and how much just of a visual masterpiece that episode is. And I love that they just sprinkled that in, at least in the beginning here, because I really like how they also added the whole idea of the armistice in here and how the war is over. You know, there was that period of silence, which was really well um, uh, described in, in the episode here and shown. Um, and it would have been, you know, I feel like a lot different if they just had oh, Indy and Remy are back in England together and they're going on an adventure. Like, I like how it starts with the war, then it kind of goes a little bit downhill and kind of some sad parts as obviously we see what happens to Miss Seymour. And then we have one last adventure together and Indy and Remy are off again. So that's really, really awesome. And kind of going back to what you were saying, Max, one thing I wanted to mention, uh, just the fact that this was a TV movie, uh, similar to Attack of the Hawkmen, uh, this was another opportunity in which George Lucas um, already knew he wanted to re-edit the show into the um, 22 episodes in chronological order. So this was his opportunity to describe what happened to Remy. Obviously, in Attack of the Hawkmen, we see that Indy and Remy part ways. And then finally, they're brought back together in the Belgian army. And then we obviously see that they part ways at the end of the episode. So nice kind of adding that chronology and putting Remy in another episode. Because while he is technically a main character for this show, he's actually not in a whole lot of episodes, which is cool. So um, I personally am a big fan of Remy. I thought the actor did a phenomenal job. Um, I think he's just kind of a really fun, you know, part of the show that really kind of adds a little bit of a new dynamic that I really like. Yes, definitely. I mean, you know, it's so sad to see Indy and Remy part ways at the end of this because, you know, once you've watched The Warriors enough times, you just think as of Remy as another one of Indy's friends, but, you know, kind of like him and Marcus in a way, you know. Remy is basically Marcus, but 
as if Indy was 16 and 17 in the Belgian army. And right after that, you see Indy and Remy back in the trenches, which is kind of funny because, you know, Indy just doesn't say anything, but Remy is like, God damn it, we're back here again. You know, like, they have been so sick of the trenches from Trenches of Hell and Demons of Deception. But, you know, now they are back here again, but we only actually see them for, like, two minutes in the trenches when they are trying to find uh, the corporal. Yeah, so we have this, like, mini-mission here in which uh, we're finding Corporal Rahendra Singh, who supposedly is exchanging ammunitions with the Germans. And I love the uh, the, the captain there, uh, who's just like, the war's over in an hour, you know? Because I love how they both salute him, and he's like, well, speak up, for God's sakes, you know? <laughs> they're just, I like how we kind of have this sense that they're just all so tired of the war. But Indy kind of here is, you know, obviously a noble soldier and still wants to get the job done. And this kind of shows how they get the map in the first place, which is really cool. And again, I like the fact that they add this point of the armistice as he's on the move and we see Indy and Remy chasing after him. They finally see he's a traitor and exchanging, um, you know, stuff with the Germans. And you actually see him get shot and Indy tries to talk to him. You know, he's like, they found a map. but And Indy's like, that's not it. And he's like, the eye of the peacock is what he says right as his last breath. Right, exactly. So I kind of like as well how it's like, the eye of the peacock. I love his last words there. You must stop him as, you know, Remy finds this map and they're like, you know, what in God's name does that mean? You know, so I really kind of like how it has that mysterious element uh, at the start there as we see, obviously, he's exchanging ammunitions. He gets shot at the end. And then this really sets up the episode perfectly as I love this last part here in which there's just dead silence. No sound effects, no music, and Indy and Remy look around, because they've never experienced this before, and they finally realize the armistice is put into effect, and the war is over, and we see them have a great big hug as the music comes right back in, and, uh, you know, Indy's like, I can't wait to see Miss Seymour, and we see they're, you know, all back in their uniforms, all nice, and uh, going uh, back to London as the war is over on a nice steamship. And right as Indy and Remy arrive back in London, we see uh, Remy is greeted by uh, his wife, Suzette. And I wanted to bring up something that I thought was a little bit hilarious, by the way. Uh, we obviously joke all the time about how everywhere Indy travels, he always seems to find a new love interest. But uh, let's talk a little bit about Remy for a second, because uh, obviously Suzette actually is a reoccurring character. You may remember her from a small, minor, minor role in Love Sweet Song, which was Chapter 7. And as Indy, you know, was having this whole sort of huge love story with Vicky, you'll remember for the 10 days they were in London, uh, Indy, or Remy actually meets a woman named Suzette. And we find out that on that 10th day, right before they leave, they get married, <laughs> which is kind of interesting. So they've known each other for 10 days. They get married on that 10th day. And then in, Remy obviously goes uh, with Indy to the Belgian army and, you know, doesn't see her for three years. And he says it on the steamship, you know, we've been married three years and I've only seen each other 10 days. Amazing. Yet, yeah. <laughs> I, yet I get a huge flashback to Trenches of Hell and Demons of Deception where Remy was, uh, how shall I put this? He was obviously uh, getting in some other sort of... Um, exchanges with some other women as we see uh during the tennis game and when indy goes to see matahari so he was kind of cheating on his wife basically <laughs> the entire time and then what's even more funny is when he comes back to see suzette remember they've only seen each other 10 days he gets greeted by four kids 
Bit of a continuity uh, error there. I'm not sure what the situation is. All of a sudden, Remy and Suzette have four kids. I thought that was a little bit of an interesting error there. Uh, yeah, well, uh, looks like Remy wasn't the only one cheating around there. Oh, I know, yeah, it was kind of interesting. I think that was just, you know, to add the whole sort of, in, you know, Remy comes home to his family, but that wasn't really, you know, what happened, you know, throughout the entire show. So kind of a little bit hilarious there in terms of uh, what happened to Remy. As we keep joking all about Indy, Remy's got his work cut out for him. Yeah. I didn't, I barely met, uh, you know, I, when I saw the four kids, I just sat there like, what the heck happened? Have I missed a few episodes or something? Right, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that actually brings up an interesting question. I wonder if they wrote an episode that was supposed to go uh, in between here that maybe got pulled or, you know, in between uh, when, uh, in, when the first time they meet and get married to now. I wonder if there was supposed to be a filler episode somewhere that explained how uh, Four Kids came out of that. Yeah, I'm sure there was actually probably just a continuity error. I mean, you barely see Suzette in Love Sweet Song to the fact that if you watch the show, I mean, there's a good chance you maybe forgot she even was in the show at first. And it's like, oh, Remy has a wife, you know? And, you know, they kind of had to work with it. But again, I mean, if we're getting really picky, yeah, obviously, why the hell are there four kids there? But, you know, to any <laughs> casual viewer, probably doesn't matter that much. And uh, <sighs> while Remy has a uh, huge greeting from his family and Suzette, Indy looks a little bit sad uh, because he notices Miss Seymour isn't there to greet him. And we travel back to her house, by the way, which is the same set piece we saw in Love Sweet Song. Uh, and we see that there is obviously some flowers on the door. And uh, apparently she was sick and unfortunately passed away. And there's this beautiful letter, uh, which is actually narrated by uh, the same actress who plays uh, Miss Seymour. And kind of a heartfelt moment there to, you know, say that Miss Seymour has passed away. And it kind of also gives a new element and motive to why Indy kind of was even fighting in the war in the first place. I love that letter. Yes, it's very beautiful. And, you know, I love that, um, you know, she says your father is dying to hear how from you and we know that Indy and his father didn't have the best relationship but he just doesn't talk to him in like three or four years no biggie there right exactly so I kind of like that element that you know and especially as well because we always saw how the relationship between Miss Seymour and Indy was never the strongest especially when they were young and so I like how the fact that over the years we see that Miss Seymour and Indy warm up to each other and you know I mean really you know Miss Seymour was a tutor and Indy was basically probably the last student she ever had and I love you know the way she just kind of ends the letter with all my highest regards Helen Seymour and it just brings back that great nice plot point of adding something else from the show that we want to see return and it kind of adds this motive and there's this quote that Indy says when he's back at Remy's apartment you know when I was in the trenches, I used to think of all the lives of the people I was fighting for, and Miss Seymour was one of them. And I just love that quote there because I think it really goes to show how, you know, Indy and his father have obviously had this sort of tension between them. Indy has lost his mother, and Miss Seymour kind of was that great figure in his life who, I mean, he really owes a lot of what he has learned to Miss Seymour. So I like that that element is added in the show. Yeah, and I, I mean, we talked about this in our Miss uh, Helen Seymour uh, and Anna Jones episode, I believe, and, you know, in, we talked about this in there, and, you know, Miss Seymour is more of a mother than Anna Jones is, which is kind of funny, you know, we know, but, you know, in a way, Anna Jones is more of a, you know, a, it's a, more of a major character than Miss Seymour because she's actually mentioned, uh, you know, it's she's mentioned in, I believe, Last Crusade, so... It's, you know, very cool that they just incorporated that in there in that beautiful letter. And, you know, I don't think they could have, uh, you know, kind of, I, I don't think they could have, you know, cut Miss Seymour out of the show without doing it that way, I guess. 
Yeah, I mean, it is a little bit sad, but I would agree with you. I feel like that was the best decision for her character because obviously you could have just left it open-ended, but, you know, I feel like it's kind of interesting how we see Indy is always just, he's such an independent person, right? I mean, he never really relies on one super heavily. I mean, in all the movies, there's different people. He's met so many people through the show, and really, you know, since obviously he's kind of had some tension with his father, Remy and Miss Seymour are the only people that have stuck with him for long periods of time as a young kid, and we see that both of them end up kind of, well, Remy, or obviously parts ways, but Miss Seymour passes away, and Indy's left on his own again. So I kind of like that almost, while, you know, ironically enough, it is really sad, but I feel like it just adds a really nice element, and kind of adds the motive for, you know, what's next in Indy's life, and we see that Remy shows him the map, and they go to the museum where uh, there's this uh, scholar there that is talking about Alexander's greatest triumph and the Eye of the Peacock. Uh, there were two stones in the temple, and one of them uh, was given to the, uh, I believe, the king of uh, India or something along those lines. Um, but uh, then the other one was uh, stolen and kind of, you know, p hidden away somewhere where no one will ever find it. Yeah, so that's kind of how, uh, you know, it sets up this idea like, maybe Indian and Remy do have a chance at this treasure hunting, because I love how he says, in the map, it's never been found. And then Remy does that classic whistle, and, he, you know, he looks very suspicious there. And then they just run back to their house, and they realize that the map hasn't been found, and this might be the ticket to wealth beyond their dreams. And um, we see that uh, Remy accidentally spills some wine on it, and when it's wet, it reads something in English. Um, uh, and they find out that it's above the tomb of Lacomides, uh, which is actually uh, in a museum in Alexandria. And uh, that's when they get this idea to do treasure hunting. And by the way, kind of a hilarious scene that I thought was pretty funny. Um, I love how Suzette, um, you know, was kind of in the room at the time. And, you know, Indy's like, we don't have much money for treasure hunting. This could all be a wild goose chase. And there's just a pause of silence quickly. And then she said, Indy, this was my grandmother's. And she takes off this beautiful, like, locket. And so I'm expecting she goes into this whole sort of backstory about, you know, antiquities and how her mother found this. And, you know, it was this beautiful sacred relic. And, you know, this diamond is going to be something unimaginable. And just like, sell it off, sell it off so we can find our fortune. Yeah. And I thought that was hilarious. And, it, you know, in a way it's kind of conveying Suzette. It's like, she just rips off this, you know, priceless locket from her, uh, that's been passed down in her family generations. Just tells Indy to go sell it for right, know, exactly. pawn money and just so they can get a couple of, uh, you know, third class tickets and kind of awesome how they did that also so you know right it, i mean it goes with remy too because we see how he's just all about wealth and that's what i think is so impactful about including the anthropologist Branislaw malinowski at the end because he's literally the polar opposite of remy i mean they're basically have completely two different personalities so kind of similar how both of them just want the wealth and we realize india's kind of you know, he's torn because he realizes that, oh my god, what if I could be rich? What if I could find this diamond? But he realizes he doesn't need that in the end. So I kind of like how Indy is in both parties. And then you've got, you know, Suzette and Remy on one side who just want the wealth. And then Branislaw Malinowski all the way on the other side. So kind of like that that tension is there. And, uh, you know, then we have the quote from today's episode, One Last Adventure, and a beautiful score right there as we start off into Indy and Remy leaving on a steamship. And, you know, Remy says, you know, imagine me owning a car and a garden and a playhouse where the kids can play. And I just love as well how, you know, the pacing of this episode is so cool because you start off with this war scene, you know, then it kind of gets a little bit depressing as Miss Seymour died. And then... Yet again, this is Indiana Jones, fellas. We got on yet another classic treasure adventure, so I love it. 
Yes, agreed. And you know, uh, right as they get to Alexandria, Egypt, uh, they you can see their look has changed just a little bit, and uh, you know they find out that Howard Carter is actually staying in the same hotel they are, the famous archaeologist, and I find that really really cool. And you know they when they're like they ask where the museum is, and he also asks uh, the hotel concierge to give a note that he wrote for Howard Carter so they can meet at some point. Yeah, I thought it was really cool. I mean, we've talked about before how we love, you know, seeing some of these characters return in whatever small role. For example, Ned is the big one that I really like. But how about Howard Carter to come back for, you know, even though it was only five minutes, I thought it was really cool, especially with the whole archaeology feel of this entire episode. And uh, yeah, we see them go to basically uh, this sort of museum here. And by the way, I love the suit that Indy is wearing here. Uh, I really, really enjoy all of the costume decisions. I, I love sort of the the um, you know style sense in in the early 20th century and specifically Indy I feel like always has some great attire on and we kind of see him transition into more of a Harrison Ford style shirt uh, a little bit later towards the end but at the start he's got this very nice tan suit with I think a red tie if I'm remembering correctly and then the vest under it ooh, really looks nice there as they go to this museum and they see the tomb of Lacomitas but someone with an eye patch already has a sneaking suspicion. Yes, precisely, and, you know, they actually meet the creepy guy with the eye patches, uh, Zyke, and I really love it because, you know, he kind of, uh, is making it out to be Indy's friend in this case, but, uh, as we'll see in, uh, a few minutes, that actually is not the case, but right after that, he meets with Carter, and they talk about the, uh, tomb and about also the map that Indy found. Right, and I love how we also see Zyke there copying down the sketch a lot, as if that isn't suspicious, right? I mean, he copies it a ton, and then we see Indy and uh, Remy copy the inscription on it and take it to Howard Carter. And one thing I wanted to mention right there, by the way, is we notice there's another guy with him uh, who is a, actually a writer. But he's, his name, I believe, is Forrester. I can't remember. I think it's H.M. Forrester. I might be wrong on that. Anyway, when Howard Carter said it, he said, I think, it, it sounded like he was saying Forrestal. And for a second, I thought he was referring to the archaeologist that's mentioned in Raiders of the Lost Ark, who originally went to get the idol uh, in the temple, and we see his remains in a skeleton uh, as they as Indy and Satipo go through this temple. And uh, yeah, very similar name. I almost thought I said Forrestal, which would have been a crazy instance if Howard Carter was working with that archaeologist. I thought that would have been actually cool. But sadly, I believe it was a writer with a similar name. Yes, unfortunately, that's not the case. But it would have been really cool if Howard Carter was, uh, you know, collaborating with that archaeologist at the time. But unfortunately, that's not the case. So, uh... After they go to the museum, uh, they meet Carter, and they basically talk about it, and then Indy is off to get on another boat to go uh, find the tomb, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and what I think is really cool here is how um, they talk about uh, the, the tomb of Tutankhamun, which if you're uh, a huge history buff, you'll know that that was uh, Howard Carter's most famous expedition, which was relevant at the time in which this episode would have occurred. So I really like that they add that in, and obviously Indy's ecstatic, you know, the fact that they might work together again, but obviously him and Remy have some research business to take care of, which really is just treasure hunting for their own wealth. Um, but that's not Bort right now. Um, and what we see later <laughs> is the fact that um, Howard Carter has an interesting idea about what Alexander's greatest triumph might be, which might lead them to the tomb of Lacomitas, like you were saying. And Indy then comes up with the idea that, wait a second, Alexander's greatest triumph 
uh, most likely would have been the fact that he was a god because he was a general, but no one ever acquired the status of being a general and a god. And that might be his greatest triumph. And so once they figure that out, they go back to the hotel where they kind of figure out, okay, where could we actually go and where could this uh you know diamond really be hidden and that's where they kind of figure out you know that uh maybe there's a key that points in the direction uh until there's another uh quick fight that adds to the action of this episode yes right after they find that out uh they don't have the right key but we do see that the uh a bunch of goons beat indy up um and then the guy with the eye patch steals the map but then right after that uh, the Indy decides to uh, pull a slitcheroo and start beating the crap out of the goons and throwing them across the room. <laughs> right, and Zyke comes in and takes the map, and on this rewatch for the podcast, I noticed something I never picked up on. Uh, you'll notice Indy says a small quote right there, and he says, Who just attacked us? And Remy says that it was the guy from the museum. And Indy says... That must have been the guy from the trenches. And he says it so quickly that I didn't pick it up. But then I realized he was referring to the opening scene with Corporal Singh. The guy who shot Corporal Singh was Zyke. And that's why he said the Eye of the Peacock. You must stop him. So Zyke was actually, that's how Zyke knew about the map in the first place. Because I was wondering, wait a second, how would have Zyke known that Indy had the map if they were just looking at the tombstone? That's because Zyke actually tried to get the map but didn't find it. Uh, as obviously we see what happened there when he shot Corporal Singh. So I thought that was a really awesome instance in terms of who that was at the beginning of the episode. I never picked up on that until now. Nor did I. That's really cool, though. And right after that, they decide to catch the guy, and they decide to take the train and uh, across the country to beat the boat to the next dock. And as they're doing that, the beautiful map is scrolling across the screen like they have in the movies. And a few of... Uh, a few Young Indy episodes also use this, but it, you know, kind of has that dotted line and then the straight line of where they're traveling on the train or boat or whatever they're traveling on. Yeah, I love that that was incorporated into the episode. We see it, I believe, in My First Adventure slightly when Cory Carrier is narrating, you know, we're going on this world lecture tour, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I think that is the only episode that it actually appears in, and then it returns here. Or, actually, wait a second. I believe it's in Travels with Father as well, and perhaps one other episode. Either way, it's not in the episodes as much, um, but here it's used quite extensively when they're on steamships, trains, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I really like that. Again, some great map music as well from Steve Bramson. So we have kind of that really traditional flavor of the indie films in terms of how that represents the adventure. And just kind of going off of that, the set design and location is absolutely fantastic. And in uh, a book called George Lucas, The Creative Impulse, which actually talks about the on-location shooting of Young Indy, by the way, there's a section, uh, they actually did shoot most of the scenes um, with indigenous tribes in New Guinea uh, and on the coast of Java. So really awesome on-location shooting. They had some fantastic fantastic sets, some great sunsets and sunrises that were captured as well. So a little bit less of the use of matte paintings here, at least from what I noticed, perhaps there are some in there, but really just fantastic sets all the way around, including the incorporation of the map. So I love just the style and look of the episode. Yes, agreed. I mean, it really brings back those classic memories of the movies that you've seen, and I really love how they included it there. And right after that, we see Indy and Remy actually get on the boat and see the guy, uh, see Zyke with the map and the correct key. 
Yeah, and he actually, they look in the room and it's pointing in a completely different direction towards Java. And uh, we see that he actually burns the map, and Remy's like, "What the hell is he doing?" You know, uh, so he obviously can, you know, uh, you know, cover his tracks and just have it for himself. Uh, and I, by the way, I love the disguises that Indy and Remy are wearing in this episode. They're absolutely hilarious, and we see that they actually have fake aliases uh, when they meet Lily in just a moment here, which really love that they added that in there. Right, and I love this girl Lily too because uh, when he meets her at the restaurant, you know he's just trying to get information, but she's like not the she's not very well liked among uh, all the thugs around here who are trying to you know all the thieves who are trying to steal the diamond. You know she's just like she just walks away and said, "Why would you want to be associated with me?" You know it's kind of interesting like what her ba like she's such a minor character yet she has a backstory. I completely agree with you. I really thought the character of Lily was great just because of the fact that she was so different from everyone we've seen. You know, it wasn't like a Julieta type situation or a Molly situation where they were like already engaged and we have no clue, you know, whatever happened to them. There's a backstory here. And we soon find out that Lily has been in on it the whole time with the diamond, yet Indy still has that love and affection for her because we see that she just has a nice, genuine personality. And uh, we get introduced to kind of this round table of, you know, sort of um, thugs that are in on this and sort of uh, diamond dealers. Uh, we obviously see Ku Wong, uh, who is one of the guys, this other guy named Jambi. And then there's just a guy known as the diamond dealer. Um, and then they're all supposedly supposed to meet with this guy known as the fat man, who is basically going to auction off the diamond and give them 10 times more than what they would get on the black market. But we clearly see that Zyke is very aggressive and decides to do it on his own. And uh, Lily obviously tells them all this. And by the way, I love the aliases that they use, right? Uh, obviously, Indy introduces himself as Henry Jones and then calls himself Henry Arima. And we have Romaldo, which are the worst aliases I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, indeed, they are the worst. Like, Indy, you can tell that they're kind of struggling to come up with an alias, you know. He's like, Indy, uh... Also, I really love that they follow... Once they figure out that, um, the guy, uh, Zeke is going to, um you know, steal it on their own. They weren't supposed to go till dark, but uh, they follow him on the horse way before dark as he, uh, uh, as he goes to try and find the diamond himself. Yeah, and one thing I wanted to say about that, I really like, and I'll talk a little bit about this more at the end of the episode, but I really like just the pacing and structure of this, you know? I feel like it's really nice to have kind of a different style of a treasure hunt, where it's not like, oh, we have clues, you know, we're gonna go get it for ourselves. The competition is really what drives the adventure. Without Zyke, Indy and Remy would have never found the box. You know what I'm saying? So it's kind of like this foot chase for Zyke and using Lily and following Ku Wong and all these guys, it brings up an entirely different dynamic of what this treasure hunt is. And it kind of, I feel like, adds a more fun element to almost the, the travel that occurs, going from England to Alexandria to Java and, you know, eventually Singapore, you know? So all these different places, it's really cool how they start that expedition in a different way. And as they're uh, going to the temple, uh, which, by the way, is a real temple in Thailand, uh, we obviously see... Uh, that Indy and Remy are going after Zyke, and he has his horse right there, and they hear that he's tapping some stones in the third temple, and after they look at the drawings that they had of the sketch of the Tomb of Lacomides, they realize he is looking in the wrong place. And after that, they, um, realize they have, this is kind of what, you know, alludes to Raiders. They reach, they, uh, find out that, um, it's the center temple because Alexander's horse is there, um, and also, 
when they uh, reach in to grab the box uh, that they find, uh, they realize uh, there's a snake in there. But uh, the funny thing is, you know, we know Indy is afraid of snakes, um, but, you know, he doesn't really flinch when he reaches in there. He's just is like, ooh, I don't want to reach in there kind of thing. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I loved the parallels to Raiders here, not only musically, which we'll talk about in a few weeks here, but also just the fact that it really brings back that spirit of searching for treasure, the idol temple. They find that box. And yeah, the one thing I wanted to mention, actually, we've talked about this a few times. The the continuity with the snakes is is a little bit, it has changed quite a bit in Young Indy. Uh, the first instance where Indy actually is afraid of snakes is actually in Passion for Life. Um, which, you know, contradicts what happens in Last Crusade. And then there's another instance, uh, in addition to this one, in which Indy barely flinches as a young boy or as a teenager when he encounters a snake. So, yeah, kind of interesting. Not really sure what they were going for there. Um, I guess maybe he just didn't see the snake, but it was clearly a slithering around in there. And uh, I would have certainly been frightened myself. And uh, I love how, you know, finally we have this great sort of revealing moment when they find the diamond. And Remy's like, how do we open it? Uh, probably with the key. And then Zeit comes in, and that's what I have. And he says a hilarious quote, thank you so much, I will take that off your hands. And um, there's this great temple fight that leads into. And by the way, I love what Remy does here. As, uh, you know, he, uh, Zyke mentions, you know, is holding them to gunpoint. He says, you two do not kill easily. And we see Remy grab this huge log and he yells, now we do. And he throws it at him while he takes the diamond and throws it to Indy and gives him a couple right hooks. That was a classic Remy moment. I loved that. Oh, yes, it's a classic. And, you know, that also, the guy is like, uh, I, I, thank you very much. I will take that off your hands. You know, kind of reminds me of Belloc, you know, uh, saying, there is not something that you can possess that I can take away. Oh, you yeah, know? awesome. It, kind of a dialogue same. quote there. Yes, a very parallel dialogue, and I really loved that. And I love that fight scene where Indy, uh, you know, is just kind of holding the diamond, and then you see Remy just punch the crap out of the out of Zyke, which is pretty funny. Yeah, this uh, is a really awesome fight, actually. One of my favorites, actually. We see him take off this huge, what looks to be like a metal crossbar, and, you know, there's some great stunts, and probably the best one has to be when Indy gets up on that vine and does that great swing kick to him. And we see Indy run over to Remy, and then, you know, he's able to wake up, and he grabs the gun, and he says, now we're back where we started. And I kind of found this to be a little bit unrealistic, which, I mean, this is a fiction, fictional TV show, but it's interesting because he holds them to gunpoint, and they don't do anything. And he's literally about to shoot them, and we see Indy, like, wince almost. I don't know, something about that just felt a little bit awkward to me, because then we obviously see, as it doesn't come off... Indy grabs Zyke by the hand and actually throws him into Remy, and Remy unfortunately falls into that huge pit, and then we see Zyke do the same to Indy as they both fall down and cling on these vines down there, which was kind of an interesting set piece there. Yeah, they get the key, which is what they came for uh, as they're falling down there, but then uh, Zyke ends up getting the box and running out. Yeah, and might I just say, Zyke gets real feisty in this episode. Like, <laughs> he's very aggressive. Like, even though for the, he only has a small amount of screen time, I mean, I think we're, what, 35 minutes in at this point? He still is, like, a very feisty character, and so is Remy, as they're climbing up the vines and they go back. And I love the quote here, as India's just like, oh, well, he took our horses. And then Remy goes, just damn, and takes his hat off and just throws it down. Uh, I, I love Remy here, because he just has that fun personality about him. I mean... In some cases, I would say he's a bit annoying to the point where it's like, okay, you know, this is a bit much. But I kind of find him a little bit more funny, just personally. 
Yes, personally, he is very, you know, they, he, Remy just gets upset at the littlest things, right. or really excited at the littlest things, which is, you know, it's kind of characteristic for Remy, that's really what makes his character, but I also, and, you know, they finally climb their way out, as they climb their way out, they walk back, and they see, uh, Zyke, they go to find Zyke in his room, because he's not in the restaurant, and they find him that he has been killed, yeah, and I really liked this, actually, because I kind of like the fact that the pacing moves forward with each villain. And the fact that Zyke is gone within about 40 minutes of the episode just makes it all the more interesting. Because now, who has the diamond, right? Is it Ku Wong? Is it Jambi? Is it the diamond dealer? We don't even suspect it's Lily, and maybe it's her, or is it someone else? So it just adds to a new point. And we see that Indy and Remy have to spend all their money to get a ticket on that steamship to go chase after all three of them and the fact that they might be into it together. So, And right after that, Indy and um, Lily have this very soft moment before it kind of transitions into uh, Remy playing poker with the guys that uh, killed Zyke. And uh, I really love how the musical number here, it's called China Dreams, and it reminds me very uh, much so of Anything Goes from Temple of Doom. Yeah, definitely. This scene really brings back the classic memory of Temple of Doom with an awesome musical number. And we have, again, we start off with this close-up on the singer there and sort of, also I like the little bit of a reference there. I think she's holding peacock feathers or something. I didn't look closely enough. Yes, But yes, is. kind of the peacock side, which I thought was funny. Um, and yeah, kind of really brings you back to Anything Goes. We see that Remy, uh, actually, despite his wits and his uh, lust for wealth, is actually quite a good card player, as he bets only with $2 and manages to tie Zambi, Kuwong, and the Diamond Dealer, uh, you know, for a pretty long amount of time as Indy decides to go sneak into all of their rooms. So... I really, really like it. Again, we have another map switch as we transition to the musical number, China Dreams. Um, and, uh, of course, Indy gives Lily some food and offers to um, have uh, her stay in the cabin. And then, meanwhile, uh, we kind of have this Casino Royale-type vibes of James Bond, as Remy obviously looks very professional and uh, has this sort of um, interesting situation in which he, you know, plays poker with all of them, while Indy searches their rooms. And, uh, yeah, Remy's just surprisingly a very good card player. <laughs> Indeed, and I love the kind of tension here as one of the guys, you know, they realize that they're going to lose all their money to Remy and so they call it a night early, which uh, doesn't uh, work out too well if Indy is sneaking into their rooms uh, in the middle of the night while they're playing poker down at the casino. Right, exactly, <laughs> and I love the next scene in which Indy and Remy, of course, sharing their own bunk and practically falling off, just arguing each other, you know, why didn't you keep them tied down? You know, I, I was searching the room and all this stuff, you go you go you go and uh you know <laughs> and uh, it's just a great scene you know that just great banter between india and remy you know you wouldn't have done this if you were spending all all your time with lily up there and meanwhile she could just be listening to this whole thing by the way yeah as, uh, we see <laughs> her roll hilarious. around a couple of times i'm like how does she not wake up they're yelling at each other practically. right and uh yeah so they go search the last cabin and in about seconds uh the guy wakes up and he says hold it right there and an interesting quick turn as someone bangs through the door and the ship is now overrun by pirates. And we have a really awesome idea that I really liked, by the way. I really like this cool idea of how the pirates interfere with the whole diamond thing um, because that just adds a little bit more of that fun element. And, you know, again, 
the expedition moves on and on as we see them go to the islands and that sort of thing. And uh, yeah, some great stunts here. Uh, there's some bamboo sticks and Indy starts doing some great punch kicks that he also saw earlier in the episode as well. Uh, and I love how Remy tries to pick up this gun realizes there's no ammunition, and just tosses it aside and grabs instead one of these shuffleboard sticks and uses that to knock some of the enemies and some sense into them. Yes, that pirate fight is very intense, and then we actually transition to the captain of the pirates, who is that woman, and it turns out to actually be the singer that sung China Dreams, meaning the whole thing was a setup. Yeah, I love that element, which is really cool. You know, I like how they added that to it. And one continuity error I noticed, actually, you'll notice uh, this one guy jumps down this huge flight of stairs. And Indy does the same thing, but loses his fedora on the first step. Cuts to the next scene, he has it back on his head. A little bit of a continuity error that you may have noticed there, uh, which I thought was kind of cool. And we obviously see that they're all taken prisoner, and they steal their belongings. And uh, we find out that Lily actually is the one who had the box. And of course, Remy just immediately just becomes incandescent with rage. And is like, the, the whole diamond was in our room the entire time. And, uh, you know, Lily is like, wait, you had the key? And we found out that actually Lily was the one who killed Zyke in his room, which I thought was a huge surprise the first time I watched this. Zyke was actually going to kill her. So, you know, uh, she got she cut to the chase and got it done with first. Um, but I love how they're like, you know, Remy is so funny when he's raging about like stupid stuff. Like he, <laughs> he's blaming Indy for something that wasn't his fault. He's just saying like, you, you, we made, you made me go into all these rooms and blah, 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 blah. Even though it, none of it is uh, Indy's fault. Indy is just as surprised as Remy is that she has the box. Exactly. <laughs> One of my favorite examples has to be Phantom Train of Doom, where Remy just goes on tangents with Indy. It is absolutely hilarious. And again, we see Indy, Remy, and Lily escape. It was in our room the whole time. And, you know, you know, uh, Indy says, all we need is a boat. And, um, you know, <laughs> Remy's like, throw her overboard. I'm like, are you serious? And, you know, she's like, what if we split up the diamond? There's plenty to share for all of us. And, you know, Remy is like, we don't want to share. And so, um, yeah, Remy obviously rows them and they go after the boat, uh, which takes quite a while because it's at night at that point. And they sneak aboard the ship and we see that there is all sorts of stuff, you know, just aboard the ship, uh, tons of riches, and they find the box. Uh, but the pirates hear them and Rendi Remy comes up with a hilarious excuse to what the box actually is. You know, the, Remy's excuse is actually uh, comes up with this is his mother's ashes. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> uh, but uh, that doesn't go too well when they're fighting. Uh, and uh, uh, Lily just says, it's a diamond. That's why we want it. And, you know, they tell it, sh they tell Lily, shut up, you know, as yeah. they're trying to fight the crap out of these guys now that they know it's a diamond instead of just a box of ashes. That is an equally good line, actually, when, you know, Remy comes up with the excuse, you know, oh, it's my mother's ashes. I said I would, you know, um, scatter them across Belgium. And then Lily tries to, you know, pull it from him. And then, you know, she just yells, the diamond is mine. And Indy and Remy just yell and sing, shut up. And it's a great classic scene as we see, obviously, yet another awesome fight. Uh, kind of, again, this whole pirate fight. And Lily shoots the pirate, actually, right then and there. And it starts this huge fire. And as Lily climbs up the ladder, she gets shot, sadly. And Remy finds a boat to get off the ship as, you know, it's enraged in flames. They have the diamond with them. 
and um, Lily eventually ends up passing away as Indy jumps overboard and the ship is blown up uh, and explodes into smithereens there. And uh, yeah, kind of a sad moment there, but I did kind of feel like Lily was a bit underdeveloped. I'm not sure how you felt. I thought she was an interesting character, but again, kind of like Zyke, I don't know if there was enough there to really make me see like, oh, she died, that was a little bit sad. You know what, I think Lily is a bit underdeveloped, but I like where she is uh, left at the end. And right after that, Indy follows the pirates to this island, and uh, Indy, when they dock, Indy actually tells Remy to sabotage the pirates' boat. Well, meanwhile, Indy runs in the forest, silence, till seconds later, is running, screaming out of the forest. Right. <laughs> they find out a bunch of natives, and the pirates are chasing. He's like, just screw this, let's go. Right, it's a hilarious scene there. I love when they get into that, by the way, really cool-looking lagoon that they enter into. And then, yeah, two seconds later, just runs the opposite way with his gun as we see natives and pirates were already fighting, but Remy sees a quick spot to go after the diamond. As uh, we see that uh, the, uh, the lady, the singer, drops the diamond, he runs after it as Indy covers him and shoots him. They run into the boat and he's like, we got him, Remy, and they get in there and they row out of there uh, so quickly. And uh, we see that, uh, of course, uh, they finally have the diamond and uh, they are overjoyed. But uh, that changes quickly as we see that they are running out of water fast. And I want to just mention, I love the, like, scenes here in which we have the boat in, like, this huge open just body of water. I thought they were really cool shots, which I know seems sounds a little bit cliche. It's like, oh, it's just water. But, like, I really liked it. I feel like they accurately showed how they were running out of water. Obviously, they looked like they just had heat strokes. I mean, it was really insane. I thought the, the costumes were really nice. Obviously, Indy was sweating a bunch. And um, I, I really just enjoyed that. So... Um, then we kind of transition into when they actually see a small island. Yes, they uh, find this, what they think is this uninhabited island, and they stock up on water, they, you know, take a shower in the waterfall, and I love how when they're back uh, at the boat, uh, Remy asks, do I look rich? And he's like, Indy's like, you look the same. Right. <laughs> it's kind of like, just like, be quiet, we know we have the diamond. Uh, <laughs> exactly. But, uh, as, as Indy is packing the boat, uh, and he's like, I don't think it's uninhabited as he looks behind him and there's a ton of natives. Yeah, I love the Remy quotes here again, going with the, this whole idea of like wealth and stuff. It's just absolutely hilarious because we see he's like, you know, I, I feel I feel taller, you know, I, you know, imagine me getting back to civilization, spending all our money, no? And, you know, all this sort of stuff. And um, yeah, so I really also like the costume change here. As we see again, Indy looks a little bit more like Harrison Ford in this one with the army shirt, a little bit different nonetheless, um, but I still like it. And one thing I forgot to mention as well, um, you'll actually notice this entire time, Indy is still wearing the locket from Princess Sophie. I really like that continuity that they added that. We obviously usually don't see it because he's wearing a suit or he's in his uniform for the Belgian army. But no, we actually see, since his shirt is unbuttoned here, we see that he's been wearing the locket the whole time. Really like that they added that in there. Fantastic. Yes, I love that locket. It is very, very nice that they added that in there. And uh, I love how once they're at um, the village, you know, they get... Uh, they get some maggots to eat, which is very, very interesting. And they actually, you know, are kind of learning in the morning about uh, the kid that they met the night before and that the natives are maybe are friendly and not like completely crazy and wanting to kill them. Yeah, I really like what they ended up doing with this last sort of section of the episode because by the time you get to like an hour in, which is when they reach the island, 
it seems like the episode's over. They have their diamond, you know, they're stocking up on food and water, and finally they get to this uninhabited island, and the pacing changes a little bit to where it kind of slows down, but I like it because it's it's a brand new element that really makes Indy realize what he's really been doing this all about, right? We see them get to this uninhabited island, and I feel like they did a great job accurately representing these cultures. And, you know, I, I think it was awesome to see these indigenous tribes here put in this Young Indy episode. Um, I think it was very, very well done. We obviously see that there's a language barrier between them, so they can't communicate. And uh, more on a bit of a, a humorous note, I like how there's a scene here that is the exact opposite of what happens in Temple of Doom. You may remember uh, when they're meeting with the village elder in Temple of Doom, Willie doesn't want to eat the food. And Indy says that hilarious quote. He says, uh, you're insulting them and embarrassing me. Yet here the opposite is true as Remy eats the food and says it's very delicious and Indy refuses to eat the sort of bugs there. I thought that was hilarious. And yes, the scene is very cool. And the reference here is it's kind of opposite. Remy is the one who eats it and thanks the elders, well, where Indy is the one who refuses to do it. Uh, kind of, uh, I guess you see that maturity from uh, here to from this to Temple of Doom. Yeah, absolutely. I thought that was a great scene there that they had to add in there. And uh, I love as well how we see this fantastic, you know, really cool native ritual. And I'm assuming, you know, I'm not sure what the situation was in terms of like the extras in this episode and, you know, how they actually shot this scene. But I'm sure that they actually, um, you know, uh, documented these traditional, real, um, you know, rituals that were going on while they were trying to film this. I don't know if it was actually set up on purpose. I doubt it, which I think is really cool that they documented this in such a, you know, unique way. And we see here that Indy meets this uh, kid named Biok. And I love how when they wake up in the morning to see the ritual, uh, he says Biok and Indy says Indy. And then we hear, you know, Remy snoring in the background and he says Thunderman. I thought that was hilarious there that he uh, referred to Remy's name as Thunderman. After that, they are um, actually handcuffed, and maybe, you know, they don't know the na the natives are friendly anymore, and they actually see what they find out is a friendly battle between another tribe. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting, especially as we see what Branislav Malinowski says later. It's kind of like a friendly battle um, that we kind of see, but it's a heartfelt scene in which we have this death of, of Biok, the friend... Uh, that Indy made there, and I thought that was such a heartfelt scene, beautiful music as we see, you know, this kind of ceremony and funeral for him after this kind of intense, yet what we learn is sort of a ritual for them to have this battle that, you know, Biak was almost supposed to die, but that is obviously Indy and Remy don't know that yet, so it's, it's very, very interesting and, and a great heartfelt scene, and so I love as well how we have such a culture shock. You know, Indy and Remy are going after this wealth to go back to England and spend their money. Yet here, we see Indy and Remy wrapped up in the true sort of indigenous tribes of this civilization and where they actually found the diamond. I thought that was a really great representation. So uh, we then have a great another scene with a sunset and sailboat, and Indy is obviously heavily impacted by the death of Biok here. And they arrive at the beautiful location and meet anthropologist Branislaw Malinowski, who in fact is a very famous historical figure. And I love how after that, you know, Malinovsky is kind of on the same path as Indy and Remy, except for two different uh, outcomes, you know. Indy and Remy are there for the wealth, he is there for the knowledge and the study of the indigenous people. Yeah, and I love the, the kind of the, the quotes that are, or just the dialogue in general from Malinovsky is absolutely fantastic here. We start off, you know, kind of with him telling him, you know, they're trying to impress the other tribe with your friendship and that the ghosts require this battle to happen. So it leads into this whole idea, you know, Remy is so anxious to get back to civilization, and he says, 
you know, for these people, this is civilization. And Remy says, oh, a more civilized civilization. Obviously, you know, Remy's view on this matter is, is so small and kind of, you know, very specific to his own needs. And, you know, we see, obviously, that there's a freighter that comes to London, but for the next few days, they can stay in, um, in you know, his quarters. And there's a great quote in which, you know, Remy asks to open the box. And, you know, he says a great quote, and he says, Interestingly, you need a tool to open a more sophisticated uh, piece of, of treasure. Whereas these people, there are no locks. There's nothing. There's just stored. They have these yams stored in these huts. That's their treasure. So very interesting how it starts off with Malinowski's different view right from the start. And we finally see the infamous scene in which Indy and Remy make a vow and find out what's in the box. Yes, they find out what's in the box. And... Uh, this is where uh, Remy uh, goes downhill from here, shall we say, as they find out it is a stone, not a diamond in the box. And once they find that out, Remy goes ballistic, starting screaming, all this hunting for a rock, a stupid stone. And I really love Remy, he just stomps out. Meanwhile, uh, Malinowski comes in with Indy and is like, oh... Well, that just happened. <laughs> right, exactly. And Indy notices just at the tail end of it that there's some writing on the stone. Um, but yeah, I mean, and it, it's interesting right there because Indy does not seem very devastated by the stone. Obviously, Remy overreacts like a ton, but Indy does not seem very disappointed, which kind of alludes to what we see later. And we have this fantastic dinner table scene with Malinowski, and we see these close-ups of Remy where he's obviously upset, and he says, I'm very tired, excuse me. And uh, I love as well, by the way, hilarious quote that Malinowski says, I make the best banana compote on the island. I'm thinking to myself, you make the only banana compote on the island, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is hilarious. And um, then we see a fantastic scene here, one of my favorite scenes in the entire show. Um, you know, Malinowski says, What's bring, what brings you to this part of the world? And he says, well, we're actually uh, treasure hunting. And uh, it's, it, it's a, a great scene here, as you know, uh, Malinowski says, you know, he's studying these people and he's here to complete a project and document this culture when eventually in some day to the future, it all change changes. And um, yet Indian Remy's return to the island has brought some memories from Malinowski back to, you know, a civilized world where he lived in London. And so they share some hot chocolate together. And uh, Remy is obviously pretty let down. And uh, Malinowski asks, what are you going to do when you find this diamond? And he says, probably go back home and study archaeology. And uh, that's when Indy really realizes he can do that without finding the diamond. Yes, Indy actually realizes that, which is very, very interesting. And after that, Indy actually talks about uh, a dig in Jerusalem, which is reference to the unproduced episode that, had, that would have had Belloc in it. Yeah, that's a really good point as well to mention from that dinner table conversation. It's thrown in there just lightly. He mentions he went on a dig with Howard Carter, but then also there's one in Jerusalem that was supposed to be an unproduced episode. And um, there's there's a really great quote here that's probably the best one in, in, in maybe even the whole show. It's really fantastic, and I want to read it here. Um, you know, uh, Indy obviously, you know, talks about archaeology, and Malinowski says, you know, oh, more treasure hunting. And Indy says, no, no, I've learned that archaeology is, you know, learning about a lot, a lot about the way people live and things that they hold sacred to them. And Malinowski responds with a great quote. There are all kinds of ways of life in this world. One is not right. One is not wrong. But understanding others and through acceptance comes a peaceful world. And I thought that was a absolutely fantastic quote. Loved the dialogue there by the writer here. Just some great ways to interpret how... This, this difference between treasure hunting 
and anthropology and what that really means for Indy because we see Remy is on the other end of the spectrum but Indy does understand that it's learning more about the way people live and I really thought that that was fantastic. Yes, I agree. Um, you know, it's very nice how, how they do that there. And also the scenes I love at night with the children playing kind of on that uh, little peninsula thing is very, very beautiful. And I can't, I don't know if that's stock footage or they actually filmed that here. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. It did look a little bit different to me as well, but I think they did actually go to New Guinea and film all these scenes. So I would imagine it is real and it looks absolutely fantastic. And, uh, one thing as well is we see this next scene here in which Indy and Malinowski try to uh, actually decipher the stone um, and figure out what the writing on it is. And uh, there's actually a little bit of a goof here. Uh, I just realized this in my recent rewatch. When Malinowski gets up uh, and, you know, Remy's like, you know, what do you want for your help for the treasure hunt? When Malinowski gets up from his chair, you actually can see the boom arm of the microphone slightly slip into the frame for about one second. Uh, a little bit of a slight error there that I thought was really cool to see. Interesting. See, I did not notice that. I saw something on the screen, but I did not know what it was. Yeah, my guess is it probably was like the boom arm because it looked like kind of like spherical there and it was a little sort of long stick at the top. But yeah, because you'll notice he gets up from his chair and the frame obviously moves up. But I think the boom arm, you know, there was obviously a little bit of discoordination there. But uh, yeah, kind of a cool little thing that you may have spotted uh, in that fantastic scene when Remy also gets very upset. Indy says, you know, this wasn't supposed to affect our friendship. Right? You know, I just wanted Malinowski to help decipher the, the stone, and then we can go and figure out what to do with the treasure beyond there. And um, then we have another great scene with Malinowski when he talks about, you know, time is the most precious thing we own, Indy. Why are you here doing this treasure hunt when you could go back home and study archaeology? You're, you're spending all this time pursuing something you don't really need. And we see that, obviously, this is when Indy fully realizes, you know what? I think this might be the end of the treasure hunt and it's going to be time to go back uh, home to the U.S. And then we have this great last scene between Indy and Remy. Yes, this beautiful scene here. It's very sad as Indy, you know, he finally tells Remy that he's not going to go search on the diamond with him. He's going to go back to Europe and then eventually America um, to become, a, to you know, study at the University of Chicago and uh, become an archaeologist, as he says. And... You know, I love this final goodbye. You know, they kind of are like, it was good to have one last adventure before they, you know, finally separated and went their separate ways as Indy goes uh, back to America and uh, Remy continues his search for the diamond. Yeah, and I'm just curious, you know, what was your initial reaction to this? Because I've always had some conflicting feelings about whether I like the fact that Remy and Indy part ways and that it kind of leads to new adventures for Indy, but also I feel like it's a bit sad. What was your initial reaction to this when you first watched this a few years ago? My reaction was, it's kind of sad. I'm like, you know, I just expected, it was a surprise to see Remy back because we hadn't seen him in quite a few episodes. You know, I kind of like the fact that they're mad because it really gives, you know, it really, it's kind of alluding that, um, you know, they're going to say their final goodbyes and that they're going to eventually go in separate ways, you know. It kind of alludes to that, that, you know, maybe they're growing apart just a little bit in terms of their dreams. Yeah, and, and that actually brings up an interesting point, you know, because I've always felt like the, the friendship between Indy and Remy is so fascinating because of the fact that they're so different, 
right? Remy is obviously an adult. He's married. Indy is only 18 years old. And they've just gone through so much together from the very beginning, whether it was Pancho Villa's Mexican Revolution, all the way to finding this diamond. And you realize that both of them want to pursue different dreams. You know, for Remy, the war is over and he just, he's lusting after this wealth that he could potentially have. You know, he's trying to celebrate. And Indy is really like, you know what? I've been away from my father for so long. There's so much more that I want to do. I don't need a diamond, Remy. I don't need to be rich. And I feel like it's a little bit of kind of a contradiction to, you know, what's been going on. It, obviously, I kind of feel for Remy because he's been let down and, you know, Indy's basically just given up on him. You know, we're not going to find the diamond anymore. But also, you know, Indy has a great point. They can't just search clues for years. Who knows where the diamond is going to be? And I like this for two reasons. First of all, I actually kind of like the way this ends. I feel like I'm kind of sick of like a cliche, yay, we found our treasure, it's a happy ending. Because this is almost a sad yet hopeful ending. It's sad that Indy and Remy part ways, but hopeful for Indy because he has a new adventure. And there's that conclusion there that I really like. So while I feel for Remy, I kind of like that they actually have this kind of, you know, um, little sort of tension between them. And then also, I think it perfectly sets up why Indy is so intent on getting the diamond from Lao Che at the beginning of Temple of Doom, because he's lost it for now 15 plus years, which I think was really cool. Yeah, that is really awesome, you know. And, you know, I think without that, if, if they had just put in the diamond, but, uh, you know, like, let's say that they didn't write the diamond from Lao Che into, you know, uh, Temple of Doom, then this would have made no sense. But I think that, you know, by combining this, you know, this more solidifies the idea that Indy is growing up into become the archaeologist that he is as we know today. Yeah, absolutely. I, th I think it just adds so much depth. I mean, this is the one true prequel to the Indiana Jones films. If you really want to pick out one specific young Indy episode, it's Treasure of the Peacock's Eye because of the fact that it adds so much depth to that small prologue. Why did Indy want that diamond so bad? And I feel like you kind of see that, especially even though, you know, Remy's not involved or he doesn't mention it's the Peacock's Eye, but you still get that same tension. Why is he after it and what does he want it for? So... That leads into the last final scene, uh, another great quote by Bronislaw Malinowski. He says, break through your sea passage, glide through peril, leave your imprint in the sand. I hope we meet again. And uh, of course, Indy and Malinowski shake hands and we see Indy say the quote, I'm coming home as he's on that sailboat riding off to the steamship and the credits roll with a fantastic piece of music, a fantastic ending to Treasure the Peacock's Eye. And without further ado, what do we think of this one? I personally like this episode a lot. I like the inclusion of Malinowski, and I like the inclusion of the different native tribes. You know, kind of very cool that, that they included that. It makes it feel very authentic. Now, something I didn't really like about this is the inclusion of Lily. She's such a minor character. The entire episode is about the search for the diamond, which I like the archaeology style that they use here. It's similar to the movies, but in a way, it also feels like it's too forced in a way, you know, they are, there are different prologues and stuff like in the movies before they actually get to the real search. But here it kind of is just, the prologue is just them uh, getting at the war, but they're, they right from the start, like from the first two minutes of the episode, they already know they want to search for the diamond. Interesting. Yeah, I kind of agree and also disagree with you a little bit. I'm just going to make a bold statement right now and say this is one of my favorite episodes in the whole show. I just have to commend George Lucas for having the um, the the willingness to, to actually incorporate something that feels like the movies, right? I mean, because again, as you mentioned at the beginning of this episode, this was one of the TV movies. So the show had already been canceled at this point. 
George Lucas didn't have the same budget he had before. And so with the opportunity that he had to create four movies for the family channel, I said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to still incorporate the history that I want, but we're going to make it about Temple of Doom and we're going to make it about archaeology and adventure. And it's a perfect mix. I really like it. Um, I actually kind of disagree with you in the sense that I do like that the search for the peacock's eye goes on for the full 90 minutes. I feel like it would have been a little bit less exciting if it was only half the episode or if there was a different prologue. Um, I think it's just enough that it adds a nice pacing to the episode, and the fact that Remy is incorporated into it really just makes this a fun episode. I mean, there's just so much to like here. It just feels like a classic adventure story. You know, that's what I love about Indiana Jones. You know, I'm one of those people who likes the adventure a little bit more than the supernatural artifacts of Indiana Jones, and this is one of those episodes that I feel like really pays homage to the style of Indiana Jones and what that really represents, and I think it's just a great, fun treasure hunt. You know, it's just got some classic things in there, and there really isn't anything that I was like, oh, I don't really like that that much. Um, I just really have positive things to say about this all around, but uh, I, I will agree with you, though, that I do think the last part a little bit drags on a touch too long to the point where it's like, oh my gosh, you know, find the diamond already or get to the end. But I feel like that also adds to why Indy makes the decision he does. So uh, yeah, I think it's this is a great episode though. Yes, I completely agree. It is a very nice episode indeed. And you know, I think the ending could have been a little bit different just because Remy, you know, the, no, I don't think that it necessarily was good to make them mad for that. But I think they should have, you know, kind of included off with maybe them you know accepting each other which in the way they do but in a way they also are like they're more focusing on indian remy saying goodbye than them supporting each other's dreams that's actually a great point i didn't even think of that yeah when they actually leave to get on the sailboat they don't say goodbye there's just that one scene where indy's like you have to do what you have to do and remy says we made a great team and then he just walks off and like literally that's it so yeah that's actually a really good point that i do think it was a little sad that actually they don't say goodbye or that they don't see each other's point of view on this and i think it kind of goes to the fact that you know remy might not be indy's true best friend you know if he even has one so um yeah but all in all i think there's a lot of remy in this episode which i think is great um there's a lot of archaeology which is really fascinating and overall coming off of masks of evil especially let's talk about that you know <laughs> this is a quite a different style of episode and uh i think this also perfectly leads into uh the next one winds of change so we are nearing the end of the adventures of young indiana jones here as we will move on to winds of change in a couple of months here so that about concludes today's episode thank you so much for joining us and remember to subscribe to our podcast and leave a review you can find us on apple Podcasts, google play spotify stitcher and many other podcast platforms if you'd like to learn more about our podcast be sure to check out our website at www.theindianajonesuniverse.com and follow us on facebook or twitter so thanks again for joining us and we'll be back soon with another episode once again i'm max and i'm will and until next time so, so long, long dr, dr. jones, jones.